You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and an incredibly supportive writing community. Regular listeners will know that I usually co-host this podcast every week with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, whose latest book is The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. But in this in-between episode, I'm flying solo, and I thought we'd entertain you with these story sessions, where we read, or the author or some fabulously famous person reads, the first chapter of a book that we recommend. So you can sample it while you're washing the dishes or catching the bus or doing whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening to this podcast. If you're not comfortable standing in the bookshop reading the first chapter of the book to decide whether you'll like it or not, we've brought the bookshop to you. This week, I've chosen Hideout by Jack Heath. I'm so excited to be bringing this book to you. It's the third in the thrilling Timothy Blake series, but don't worry, you can absolutely enjoy it on its own. It's not a spoiler to tell you that Timothy Blake, the protagonist, is not a nice guy. He does bad things for good reasons, and I think that's what makes these books so captivating. Here's the blurb from the book. Timothy Blake has nothing to lose. He's headed to an isolated house in rural Texas with a hammer in his pocket and murder on his mind. His target is Fred, the ringleader of a criminal empire on the dark web. Once Fred is gone, Blake can disappear for good. But it turns out that Fred isn't alone. Five other psychopaths live in the house. They work together and call themselves the guards. Torture, extortion and death are their business. Blake manages to convince them that he's one of their online associates. Soon, they think he's a monster like them. They're not wrong. Blake decides to pick them off one by one. But when a guard is found with a bullet in his skull, Blake realises that someone else in the house may have the same idea and he might be their next target. Meanwhile, who are the desperate people chained up in the building behind the house? One of them will change everything. Jack Heath has written dozens of exciting thrillers, and he's well known for launching his readers straight into the action. He's written many books for kids, but as you're about to hear, his books for adults are no different. Prepare to be taken for a wild ride. Here's Chapter 1 of Hideout by Jack Heath. Chapter 1. Eject my skin so it won't be found. What am I? The other guys, I say. Sure, Fred smiles. You didn't think it was just me out here, did you? That's exactly what I thought. The plan was simple. Kill Fred, then myself. But my only weapon is the hammer tucked into the back of my pants. If Fred has friends in this house, I'm in a whole world of trouble. Great, I say. Can't wait to meet them. Fred is looking at the car I arrived in, a midnight blue sedan with supple leather seats and a stereo still playing light jazz even though the engine is off. Blood on the passenger's seat, mud on the driver's, a bullet hole low on one of the doors. Fred looks at the hole for a strangely long time. A shadow crosses his face. Nice ride, Lux, he says finally. Not my car. Not my name either. He nods unsurprised. Anyone looking for it? Maybe, probably. I'll tell Kyle to take care of that. He holds out a hand for my keys. If I give it to him, I'm trapped. If I don't, he might realise I'm not Lux. You don't need to do that, I say. Fred waves off. It's no trouble. Hesitating any longer would look suspicious. I pass him the keys. 
he slides the car key off the ring and tosses the rest back. It's fine for tonight, though, Fred says. No one will see it. We're miles from anywhere. He's not wrong. The house is in the middle of the woods, at the end of a long driveway off a dirt road. None of my contacts at the FBI know where I am. I don't even have a phone. If I die out here, no one will ever know what happened to me. That was the point. Come on, Fred says. You must be freezing. Yeah. My tattered white shirt, suit jacket and thin socks offer no protection from the night air, and I'm still getting used to having a shaved head. My ears hurt. Hunger burns in my gut, or maybe it's fear. I broke my nose in a car crash two days ago. I can still taste blood pooling at the back of my throat. Fred locks the car with the key remote. The music and the interior lights fade out, like a cinema when the movie's about to start. We crunch across the gravel towards the house. Fred is white, lean, and younger than I expected. Late twenties, maybe. Fair skin, scruffy hair, friendly wrinkles at the edges of his brown eyes. He has the voice of a venture capitalist or a junior lawyer. He doesn't look or sound like he runs the most violent porn site on the dark web. The house is made from many kinds of wood carefully arranged, pale slats around the foundations, darker beams up top with a gradient in between like a sunrise. Recycled timber maybe, like one of those expensive echo homes. The windows on either side look double glazed, the light inside dampened by thick curtains. The second level is smaller than the first, maybe just an attic. It's a fusion of the old South and the new. Texans used to march into the wilderness with nothing but a hatchet and build a house to live in. If anyone else settled within a half mile of them, they'd abandon the house and build another somewhere even more remote. That urge is still there, but now people want their isolated homes to have solar orientation and heated tower rails. Fred is unlocking the front door, even though he only just walked out of it. Automatic locks, he explained. Can't be too careful. There are some bad people out there. Oh, I say. He welcomes me into the warmth of a short hallway, two mirrors gleaming on either side like an elevator. I can hear a fire crackling somewhere. The downlights are painfully bright, making me feel as though I'm in a dentist's chair, about to be poked with something sharp. Fred hangs his jacket on an old-fashioned coat stand. The door locks itself behind us with a crisp beep. Come on, Fred leads me through the hallway, which opens out into a spacious living area. Two white men in muscle shirts drop their Xbox controllers and get up off a grey sofa. A refined-looking woman in a slinky dress appears at the far end of the room, holding a glass of white wine. A young man, maybe a teenager, sits on a beanbag and a hoodie and a baseball cap looking at his phone. A skinny guy in a suit turns away from the fireplace and looks at me through glassy eyes. I worked hundreds of cases at the FBI and studied thousands of mugshots, but I don't recognise any of these people. Am I supposed to? Lux never met Fred in person, but he might have met Fred's friends. If he did, I'm screwed. I don't look anything like him. But everyone is giving me polite smiles. My cover is intact for now. Guys, Fred says, this is Lux. Heads nod all round. The two muscle men each raise a hand in a small wave. The young guy says, What's up? These are the guards, Fred points to each person. Donnie, Samson, Zara, Kyle, and Cedric. Now repeat all of that back to me. He's kidding, and everyone laughs. Sure, I point. Donnie, Samson, Zara, Kyle, Cedric. Fred raises an eyebrow. Not bad. Memorising names is easy. Sometimes I use celebrities. 
Donnie, one of the two brawny Xbox players, looks a bit like Mark Wahlberg, and I know Mark has a brother named Donnie, so that's easy. The other player, Samson, has shoulder-length hair. I visualise him as the Samson from the Bible, a servant girl hacking off his locks as he sleeps. Other associations also work. Zara, the elegant woman in the cocktail dress, has the same name as an upmarket shoe store in Houston. I used to beg for change on a nearby street corner. I imagine this Zara as the owner shooing me away, threatening to call the cops. The more emotional the connection is, the better it works. After my parents were shot, I was put in a group home, and one of the other orphans was named Cedric. We weren't friends, but no one adopted either of us, so I knew him for longer than most of the other kids. We both knew that when we turned 18, we'd be kicked out. The day before his birthday, Cedric hung himself with the cord of his bathrobe. That Cedric was a white, heavy-set teenager, while this Cedric is in his mid-thirties, thin and black. But if I picture a ring of bruises around his throat, the association is there. I don't know any Kyles, so I go for a rhyme. This Kyle, the teenager on the beanbag, has a Hitler Youth kind of look. Pasty, square-jawed, keen to follow orders. I imagine him at a rally, yelling, Sieg, Kyle! I don't need any memory tricks to remember Fred's name. The human brain has evolved to remember dangerous people. This isn't the first time I've assumed someone else's identity. Once I dressed as an electrician so I could sneak into a half-constructed house for a shower. Another time I donated sperm for cash using a borrowed ID because I was too young to do it legally. But now the stakes are higher. If there's one thing rural Texans love, it's guns. I might be the only person in this room who isn't carrying. A single word wrong and I could get a bullet in my skull. Donnie, the bulkier of the two gamers, holds out his hand. I shake it. His grip is crushing. Cold hands, he says. Cold hands, warm heart, I say. Donnie smiles. My mom used to say that. What are you bench, bro? I don't know what this means, but I've heard gym junkies say it to each other like a greeting. He shrugs modestly. 200 back in the day. I give a nod that could be interpreted as impressed or encouraging, depending on whether 200 is high or low. No one else tries to shake my hand. Fred is unwinding his scarf. Lux made some of our most requested videos. There's an awkward round of applause, like after singing happy birthday to a work colleague. But he has to lie low for a while, Fred continues, so he's going to stay with us. What happened? asked Cedric, the skinny guy in the suit. He gestures at his own face to show what he means. Car wreck, I swallowed some more blood. Fred crosses his arms. Where's the FBI guy, Timothy Blake? It's jarring to hear him use my name. How much did Lux tell him about me? It's all right, Fred has misread my hesitation. They're cool. I mean, you know what we do here. Some images flash through my head. Blood, chains, screaming. I sure do. I should be mimicking Lux's voice in case one of these guys has talked to him on the phone. My Texas accent is broader than his was. Too late now. So what happened to the cop? Blake's not a cop. He's a civilian consultant. I clear my throat. Was, anyway. I put a bullet through his head. Left him in Huntsville State Park under six feet of dirt. No one will ever find him. It's Lux buried out there, not me, murdered by one of the young women he raped. The story sounds fake coming out of my mouth, but the people around me are visibly relaxing. If I'm a cop killer, I must be okay. You hear that, Donnie? Cedric says. Six feet. Everyone laughs except Donnie and Samson. 
I chuckle, pretending to get the joke. Johnny looks about five foot eleven. Maybe Cedric is making fun of him for being short, even though he's the tallest person in the room. Blake was trying to shut us down, right? Donnie asks. He's a bit older than the others, late thirties, with shaggy hair and a silver chain around his neck. No cross on it. He was trying to shut me down, I say. Me and Fred. He didn't know the rest of you existed. At least I don't think he did. Fred nods slowly. Well, we can get you a driver's license in a new name. It'll take five, six days. I'm not going to last five or six days. These people may not have met Lux, but they communicated with him on the dark web. I don't know enough about him or them to pull this off. That's really kind of you, I say, but I can't stay long. Fred looks surprised. Why not? The cops are searching for me. I wish this was true. I don't want to put the group in danger. You don't need to worry about us, Samson says. Fred pats me on the spine, just above the handle of the hammer. We got your back, he says. Zara speaks for the first time. Can I get you a drink, Lux? Playing the host. Maybe this is her house, not Fred's. Her black hair shines like a grand piano. She has access to expensive shampoo, which might mean regular trips to Houston. Maybe I can join her in one of them. Escape that way. No, thanks. For all I know, Lux didn't drink, and this is a test. But I could use an aspirin. She beams. Dazzling white teeth appear between bright lips. Coming right up. She walks away with just enough sway in her hips that I feel like I'm supposed to watch. Her high heels make hardly any sound on the wooden floor as she's coated the soles with felt. While you're waiting, Fred says, you want to see where the magic happens? The young guy, Kyle, still hasn't opened his mouth. He looks like I did when I aged out of foster care, dishevelled, tense, watchful. He forces a smile at me and then turns back to his phone screen. Sure, I say. Wow. Okay, if you want to find out what happens next, Hideout by Jack Heath is released in December in Australia and New Zealand by Alan and Unwin. But if you pre-order a copy, which you can do now, and email your receipt to Jack, he'll send you an activity book. Now, this sounds absolutely wild. In the Hangman activity book, you can do fun things like spot the difference between two crime scenes, reassemble the skeleton in Blake's bathtub, join the dots to make a police sketch of Fred, and try out Blake's recipe for Texas-spiced chicken. (laughs) As you can tell, Jack has a wicked sense of humour. Now, we spoke to him back in episode 221, so if you want to hear more about how he writes his wild and crazy books for kids and adults, go check out episode 221. Now, if you want to pre-order a copy and to find out what email address you can send your receipt to so you can get that activity book, go to Jack's website, jackheathwriter.com slash hideout. That's jackheathwriter.com slash hideout. And if you'd kill to write your own thriller novel, then you can follow the path of Australian Writers' Centre alumna, Sarah Bailey, who has done courses with us and has now released three successful crime novels, The Dark Lake, Into the Night and Where the Dead Go. Here's a quick word from Sarah on how she got published. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. 
This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Let's hear from Sarah Bailey. My name's Sarah Bailey. Um, I've got a debut novel through Alan and Umlin out at the moment. It's called The Dark Lake. It's a crime thriller. I was working in advertising at the time and I was working at a great company and had a really sort of good career, but I just had this burning desire to write all the time. I'd heard really good things about the Australian Writer Centre's course. Um, the reviews were always really positive and people always sort of providing really good feedback on social media. So. Um, I just thought that was a really good place for me to start. I found Nicole Hayes, the tutor that I had in the course that I did through the Australian Writers' Centre, really inspiring. Um, really down-to-earth um, teaching style, but just a really great way of um, pulling together some of the writing skills that she's picked up over the years. She had such a passion for narrative and structure um, and being a published author, she had some, some really practical um, advice and knowledge to share as well. The process for me was just setting my own deadlines, which was something that was covered off in the Australian Writer Centre's course as well. Went, this is how many words I'd like to have by these different points along the year. And then I um, just worked towards getting the words down. And then I sort of um, approached agents, and then the agents helped me approach publishers. In the end, when Alan and Unwin decided to publish the novel, and um, that was all confirmed, it was, it was amazing. It was just such an amazing um, experience to go through, and I felt really fortunate. Um, but also really proud because it had obviously been you know, a really hard, um, hard sort of journey to get there. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that writing was something that was really, really important to me. And then of course, you know, through meeting the people and the tutor that I had, I also picked up a lot of really invaluable skills as well. I think it really just set me off on the right path. Um, and then since then, obviously, so much has happened in my world in terms of writing that I really do see it as the first step um, that, I, that I took along that path. It's amazing, I've, I feel very, very fortunate to be in the position where that's, that's my current life. So I think that was, a, that was hugely important um, in terms of getting, getting started. Definitely anyone who's interested in writing and sort of taking a, a more serious step toward that as a career or even just a, a more specific hobby, I think the Australian Writer Centre's courses are really worthwhile. I think it's just, it's always nice to be um, in an environment where people are passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, and I think that the, um, the skills and the information that you get from, from courses like that just, just help you sort of really focus. For me, the creative writing course was, was a great starting point. I think it just made me um, rediscover my love for writing at a basic level all over again. Um, so I think that I've definitely spoken to other friends and have suggested that they give it a shot. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. Thanks for listening to Story Sessions of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and writing courses at writercentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Connect with us on social media at writercentreau, on Twitter and Instagram, and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening to this in between episode, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. 
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 